You're listening to a message provided by Antioch Bible Baptist Church in Gladstone, Missouri. We intend this to be a helpful resource to you as you grow in your walk with Jesus Christ. This is intended especially for those who are unable to attend our worship gatherings and therefore were unable to hear the teaching of God's Word. This should not replace your gathering with our church as a member. If you're checking us out for the first time and are looking for a church to visit, we hope that you enjoy this content and that it impacts you personally. Thanks for listening. You've heard the old saying, there are no atheists in foxholes. A foxhole is a hole in the ground used by troops as a shelter against enemy as a fi- or as a firing point. The sentiment behind this old saying is that when you are surrounded by an enemy, you cry out to God because you have no other options. Therefore, you're hard pressed to find someone in a foxhole who doesn't believe in God, right? Because they've come to the end of themselves, they're surrounded by the enemies and they cry out to God. This is the context of Psalms 17. In Psalm 17, David is surrounded by danger. You just heard it read in verse nine when David said, my deadly enemies who surround me. So David is in a foxhole with the enemy fire all around him. And he is crying out to God for help. But what you should have noticed as it was reading through the Psalm 17, the Jamesons, is that he didn't get in the foxhole because he had done something wrong. In fact, David proposes in this moment that he's in the foxhole because he is innocent. He hasn't done anything wrong. Some scholars had described this psalm as an innocent person's prayer for protection. An innocent person's prayer for protection. When a person is innocent, they want to go before a judge to prove their innocence. And David here in Psalm 17 is praying like he's going before the ultimate judge in God. And he desires God's acquittal and help in the situation. And for us to truly understand Psalm 17, I believe as New Testament believers, as followers of Jesus, we we must read this in light of Jesus. So let me lay some groundwork before we actually get to Psalm 17, because I think if we understand Psalm 17 in light of Jesus, it changes the way we look at it and the way that we pray it. A lot of times in in the past few Sundays, and and even when we're talking about the Psalms in general, we'll talk about the Psalm, and then we bring in the punchline, which is Jesus, right? We bring in the star of the show. So we do Psalms 15 with this righteous person, and we talk about this righteous person, and we feel the weight of the inadequacies that we don't measure up to those 11 characteristics, but then we bring it around and say Jesus was the only one who could truly be the righteous person in Psalms 15. So what I'm doing today is I'm flipping, flipping the script 
We're going to start with Jesus so that as we study Psalm 17, we do it in light of Jesus and what he's done for us on the cross. So I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Hebrews. It's in the New Testament or pull out your phone, go to your Bible app and go to the book of Hebrews. I'm going to start, we're going to go to three different passages in Hebrews, again, to lay the foundation. So when we study Psalm 17, we study it in light of that and it helps us understand it better I believe in Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 7 is where we're going to start in Hebrews 5 and verse 7 the author of Hebrews says this in the days of his flesh this is Jesus he's talking about Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and he was heard because of his reverence. So the author of Hebrews lets us know that Jesus prayed prayers. Where did Jesus' prayers come from? Well, many would tell us that Jesus' prayers come from the book of Psalms. So when we read a psalm like Psalm 17, this would have been the prayer that Jesus would have prayed to God as he's going through times in his life and seasons of his life where he finds himself in a foxhole. And so Jesus is the only person who could truly pray Psalm 17 as an innocent person before God. Because if you remember, as they read through it, it talked about there's no deceit in him. That he's innocent of all that's going on. His ways are innocent before the Lord. Well, in the reality, Jesus is the only one that can truly pray that prayer, right? Because he was sinless. And so Jesus prayed a Psalm 17 to the Lord. And because Jesus lived the life that you and I could never live, because he was born, a virgin born, son of God, he was born without sin, and we were born into sin, and he died the death that we deserve to die because of our sin, and he rose from the grave, sealing our salvation, our sanctification, and our glorification. Therefore, because of that, the author of Hebrews says this in Hebrews chapter 10. In verses 19 through 22, look at it with me. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 22. So Hebrews 5, 7, Jesus is the only innocent person that could truly pray a Psalm 17 and, and with a clear conscience before the Lord. But if you go to Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 22, the author of Hebrews says this to us, therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. So what the author of Hebrews tells us is that because Jesus lived the life that we couldn't live and was able to go into the presence of God and 
and absorbed the wrath of God that was rightfully ours. The curtain, the picture of the temple was torn in two. And now we, because our lives have been sprinkled clean through Jesus Christ, now we can come into the presence of God innocent, not because of our righteousness, but because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. This is a great gift that we've been given in prayer. And so the author of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter four, if you go back there in verses 14 through 16 tells us this, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let's hold fast our confession for we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Verse 16, let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So he says, listen, because of Jesus, we can pray a prayer like Psalms 17. When we find ourselves in a foxhole, not because of our own doing, but because we are living a godly, innocent life before the Lord, because of Jesus, we can pray Psalms 17. Prayer then is an outworking of our relationship with Jesus. Prayer is a response to a relationship with God. So th think about the times that you find yourself under attack and you can fill that in, whatever that looks like, whether it's physical or emotional or spiritually or, or, or financially, you feel like things aren't, aren't working out. Whenever you feel like those moments come in your life, who are the people that you typically turn to in those moments? The people that you turn to are probably the ones you have a relationship with. You're not pulling up to QT and running in there and talking to the QT attendant about your problems, right? Why? Because you don't have a relationship with them. You typically go to the person you have a relationship with. So Psalm 17, David has this relationship with God and he's going to God because of that relationship with him. He's not going to God for the relationship, but because he has a relationship with God. So we pray Psalm 17 as we're going to study it today, not for a relationship with God, but because we have a relationship with God. Because we've been declared righteous because of Jesus Christ. So before we get to Psalm 17, the question is, is then, do you have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ? Has there been a moment in your life that you realized without Jesus Christ, you were dead in your trespasses and sins? That no matter how hard you tried to earn God's favor, you could never quite get there. Going to church, taking the sacraments, right? Doing all the right things that just never was enough. That you realized that you were dead in your sins, but that Jesus came and he died for your sins, was buried and rose again, so that by putting your faith and trust in him, if we confess with our mouth, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you've done that, now you're in right relationship with God. Have you had a moment like that? If you haven't, I would invite you to consider that today, to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Then as we come to Psalm 17, we come from this concept of we have a relationship with God and this prayer is an overflow. It's a response. It's a working out of our relationship with God. So here's what I want to do. 
I want to make three observations about this prayer of David that will help us grow in our relationship with Jesus through prayer. Here's the first observation that I want you to see. David prays from a relationship with God. Look at verses 1 and 2. Hear a just cause, O Lord, attend to my cry. Give ear to my prayer from lips free of deceit. From your presence, let my vindication come. Let your eyes behold the right. These verses, verses 1 and 2, show us the urgency of prayer. That David goes boldly into the throne of grace to find help in his time of need. He says, hear, attend, give ear. It's, it's from this relationship with God that he feels like he can go right into the throne of grace and, and begin to have this request given to God. It's, it's from a relationship with God. David prayer to God is in a season of being falsely accused. And he's asking God to start by examining his own heart, not the lives of his enemies. This says a lot about David's heart towards God. Because prayer is a revealer of our heart. David doesn't start by throwing his enemy under the bus. He's going to get there, all right, in verses 9 through 13. But he starts with his own heart. And he comes to God and says, as he's thinking about being innocent, he goes, look at my heart, God. Examine my heart and see that it is right before you. He, he begins with his own heart. I, I think we would do well as a church and as a people to always begin with our own heart when we find ourselves in a foxhole and enemy's fire is all around us. Why? Because Proverbs teaches us that, that our heart is the wellspring of life. We have to guard our heart. So let's start with our own heart before we get to our enemies, right? We'll get there in prayer, but let's always start with our own heart and make sure our heart is right with God before we get to our enemies. So David begins with his own heart and says, hear and attend and give ear from your presence. Let vindication come. Let your eyes behold the right. Then look at verse 3. He says, you have tried my heart. You have visited me by night. That, that's a, a purposeful visit. That it's not just a random, he showed up at David's house. The word visit there has a purposeful tone to it. That he visited me by night. You have tested me and you will find nothing. Those three words, tried, visited, and tested, point to the fact that David sees the trouble in his life as being allowed by God to test his faith in God. So he sees himself in this foxhole, not by accident, but that God has allowed this to happen in his life so that he can grow in his trust and his confidence in God. We know the author of James, James 1 and verses 2 through 4, he says this, that my sons count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the trials of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work that you may be complete, lacking nothing. And so James tells us that when we have trials, when we find ourselves in foxholes, we have to remember that that just didn't randomly happen, that God is allowing this to happen in our lives to grow our faith and trust in him. 
And what it would seem like when David makes comments like you're not going to find anything wrong when he says in verse 2, let your eyes behold the right. It would seem as if David is talking about the fact that he is sinless. Right, that he's never done anything wrong. But we have to look at the whole context of the Bible and specifically the book of Psalms. And we know in Psalms 32 and in Psalms 51 that David didn't believe that he was completely sinless. So what David is saying by these comments is that he's saying, from my relationship with you, I'm doing the best I can to live in a way that pleases God. That's what he's saying by these comments is that because he's not, he's not insecure in his relationship with God, he's secure in his relationship with God. He can say things like, I, I really, as I examine my life, God, I, I don't think there's anything that I'm doing that is displeasing to you. Because look at what he goes on to say at the end of verse three through verse five. He begins to think through this and he says, I purpose that my mouth will not transgress. So I, I don't wanna say anything that displeases you. With regard to the works of man, by the word of your lips, that's the Bible, I have avoided the ways of the violence. So as I read your word and saw not to go down the path of the fool, I've avoided the ways of the violent. I've avoided the way of the fool. Verse five, my steps have held fast to your paths. I've, I've stayed on the right path and my feet have not slipped. David is saying, God, examine my whole life. Inspect everything. My thoughts, my words, my action. I'm an open life before you. Examine my heart and see that, that I'm doing my best to live from a relationship with you, not for a relationship with you. And so David is praying in this mindset. Look, look at verse six. David is so confident in his relationship with God that verse six, he says, I'll call upon you for you will answer me, O God. Incline your ear to me. Hear my words. David is so confident in his relationship with God that it's like, I know you're going to answer me, right? I know you're going to hear me. That, that's that's a, a person who has a good relationship with God, right? That, that's a person who's secure in their relationship with him. Then in verses 7, 8, we find something interesting. Listen to, to it. Wondrously show your steadfast love, that covenant love. O Savior of those who seek refuge. This ties us into 16 and 15 when he's talking about God being his refuge. From their adversaries at your right hand. Keep me as the apple of your eye and hide me in the shadow of your wings. Here's what David's doing. This is really neat in verse 7 and 8. Is David is pointing back to the relational faithfulness of God to the children of Israel. So for us just to read through this, we don't capture that. But what David is actually doing is he is quoting from the songs of Moses. So let's go back to Exodus chapter 15 and verse 16. So as David has sought to follow the Lord and his word, you go to Exodus 15 and verse 6 and you find David's prayer in verse 7 of Psalm 17. He says this, your right hand, O Lord, is Moses, they've just come across the Red Sea. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power, your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. That's verse seven. O savior of those who seek refuge in you from their adversaries at your right hand. He's thinking of Psalm, of Exodus chapter 30, 15 and verse six. Then if you look at Deuteronomy chapter 32, 
verses 10 through 12, this is Moses' final song. Like he's about to pass the torch off to Joshua and he's going to die right before they enter the promised land. And he writes another song. And in this song, he says this, he found him in a desert. This is the children of Israel. And in the howling waste of the wilderness, he encircled him and he cared for him and he kept him as the apple of his eye. Like an eagle that stirs up its nest, that flutters over its young and spreading out its wings, catching them and bearing them on, on its pinions, the Lord alone guided him. No foreign God was with him. So as David is thinking about this prayer from a relationship with God, he remembers how God had been faithful to the children of Israel and Moses had wrote this song about it when they crossed the Red Sea. And Moses had written this song as he was about to hand the baton off. And David remembers that and said, as God has been faithful in that relationship, as God has been faithful to care, that's the idea of the apple of the eye. And as God has been faithful to protect, that's the idea of eagle's wings, that God is gonna do the same thing for me. He's praying from a relationship with God. So today, to, to David, God is not some distant deity who can't be bothered with his problems. To David, God is like a friend who's been there through the ups and downs of life. So here's my question for us today then. When your enemies are surrounding you, do you approach God in prayer from a relationship with him or for a relationship with him. Like when you think about trouble coming into your life and you find yourself jumping in a foxhole to avoid enemy fire, do you do that and cry out to God from a relationship with him or for a relationship with him? You don't say prayers like verses one through eight unless you have a relationship with God. You don't come that boldly into the throne of grace to find help in your time of need unless there's already a relationship with there. there. Here's a way to think about it. If you come for a relationship, that's what we call legalism. Legalism is I have to do something. Whereas if you come from a relationship with God, that is grace. And grace says, I get to do this. So when I find myself in a foxhole, I get to cry out to God. I don't have to cry out to God. I get to say to him, Lord, you've been faithful to me. Look at my life. And again, how can I do that? Because the righteousness of Jesus Christ has been credited to my account. Not because I am innocent in and of myself. Not because I never mess up when I speak, right? Not that I don't ever go down the wrong path. You and I can come boldly like that because of Jesus Christ. And it comes from a relationship with him, not for a relationship with him. If you view prayer as, as that means of developing a relationship with God, growing your relationship with God, not for a relationship with God, it'll radically change how you view prayer. Because then it doesn't come a checklist. It, it flows from a relationship. I, when it comes to my wife, Ruth, when we go through hard times, she's really the first person that I think of talking to. 
She's the one I want to talk to on the phone when the day's been bad at work. Why? Because it's from a real, I don't have a checkbox that's like, well, I better call Ruth and tell her first, right? In order for us to have a relationship. No, it's because I have a relationship with her. I want to share my heart with her. And David prays from a relationship with God. And we should do the same. Not because we have to. Because we get to. Because God's been so good to us that we can come to him and say, hear us, Lord. Answer our prayer. You've been faithful to past generations. You're going to be faithful to me as well. Then David prays for protection from his enemies. Look at verses 9 through 13. So I'm going to read 9 through 12 and then I'll summarize it for you. This is what David said of his enemy. From the wicked who do me violence, my deadly enemies who surround me, they close their hearts to pity. With their mouth they speak arrogantly. They have now surrounded our steps. They set their eyes to cast us to the ground. This enemy, he says, he is like a lion eager to tear as a young lion lurking in ambush. David gets specific about his enemies and the pressure he is feeling from them. And he says, the wicked desire to hurt me. They desire to hurt people. The wicked are hard-hearted. The wicked are prideful, which comes out in arrogant speech and how they talk. The wicked plan to do harm. The wicked are like a lion ready to tear us apart. When I read verse 12, it reminded me of Peter's words. And I just wonder if Peter was thinking of Psalm 17. When Peter wrote 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8, when he said, the devil is like a roaring lion walking about seeking whom he may devour. The enemy desires to destroy us. And he will use any means possible to make that happen. He's like a lion that is on the prowl. He will use politics. He'll use preferences. He'll use social media. He'll use sports, right? He'll, he'll use any means possible to destroy us. And David is calling the enemy out and saying, this is who it is. The enemy is not out there for your good. They're out there for your destruction. What's interesting is that Jesus calls us to pray a prayer like David prays in verse 13. When David says, arise, O Lord, confront him, subdue him. And then here's the prayer. Deliver my soul from the wicked by your sword. Now, just to give a, a... a context to this. Some believe because David said, arise, O Lord, confront him and subdue him, that maybe this is the season in David's life when he's running from Saul. Remember that season where Saul gets ticked because David has killed his his tens of thousands and Saul's killed his thousands and David is running from God and you literally at one moment find David in a cave surrounded by Saul's army. And so some believe, and though, although there's nothing in the text that would necessarily lead us to that end, it would seem that maybe David, this is the moment in David's life when he's being literally attacked by these enemies. And so he prays, God, deliver me, protect me from my enemies. Jesus calls us to do the same thing. In Matthew chapter 6, it's coming in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is giving the 
directions for those who have submitted their life to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and what it's like to follow him in his kingdom. And he teaches us how to pray in that in Matthew chapter 6. And when you come to the end of the prayer in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 13, Jesus says we should pray this. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, what's interesting about that term evil is that it really could be translated from the evil one. So as Jesus calls us to pray, he says one of the prayers that we should pray is God deliver us or protect us from the evil one. Jesus didn't just tell us to do it. Jesus modeled it for us in John chapter 17 and verse 15. As he's praying over us as believers in him, he says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Jesus models for us and teaches us that we should pray for protection from the evil one. I don't have to tell you that we live in an evil world. I don't have to go into details because you watch the news, right? You get on social media, you see the evil of the world. And as children of God, we are called to pray for protection from the evil one. In 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 12, Timothy says, or Paul says this to Timothy, if you desire to live a godly life, you will be persecuted. The enemy will come after us when we seek to live in a manner worthy of the gospel. Just like David looked at his life and says, by God's grace, I'm trying to live in a way that pleases God. And here I find myself in a foxhole. So we, as godly people, as people set apart for God, if we desire to live a godly life, the enemy is going to come after us as well. And so my question for you and I is, are you living a life that the enemy would even think about coming after. Maybe we don't pray for protection from the evil one because we live such lukewarm lives that we don't even know that we're under attack. That it's like, why would I go after that person? They've bought into the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. So I don't even need to go after them. They've, they've already been duped, right? And so the thing I think about David is that David lived with such singular focus on God. We saw this last, last week in Psalms 16 in verse 2 when he said, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. David lived with such singular focus that enemies were coming after him all the time. And I think it's a challenge for us in our lives. If we look at our lives and they're pretty comfortable and I'm not really persecuted, not that we're seeking that out, but I'm living in a manner worthy of the gospel, the enemy is going to take notice of that and going to start coming, out at, coming after our lives. And I think we can be deceived into lukewarm lives. Just going along with the motions and not living with a singular passion for the Lord that would cause the enemy to come after us. I think about the book of Job 
And as Satan is looking across the earth, and what does he say? He finds Job, a righteous man. And Job goes to God and says, let me go after him. Because I bet if I go after him, he's not going to follow you anymore. He was living such a righteous life, a life that was set apart for God, that the enemy took notice of him. And I think the same thing should be true of our lives. Are we living with such singular focus on God? Everything flows through. There's no good apart from him that the enemy would even come after us. And when he does, then all of a sudden, this verse takes life. All of a sudden, when the arrows are flying around our head, we're praying for God to protect us from the evil one. The last thing I want you to notice is that David prays with the end in view. Look at verse 14 and 15. From men, by your hand, O Lord, talking about these wicked men, enemies, the enemies that he's faced. From men of the world whose portion is in this life, you fill their womb with treasure. They are satisfied with children. They leave their abundance to their infants. So he's talking here about the fact that the wicked's best life is now. That they basically get all that they get from the here and now. The best is not yet to come for the person that doesn't follow God. The best life they got is right here and now. But look at verse 15. As for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness when I awake. Remember, a lot of times when we see awake in the Bible, it's this contrast between life and death. Right? So they talk about a sleep is to be dead in Christ, to awake is to be alive in Christ. So we think David has this mindset here of when I awake, I shall be satisfied with your likeness. Verse 14 contrast verse 15. In verse 14, the enemy gets their treasure in this life while the righteous in verse 15 is blessed with the presence of God and future glory. This verse is similar to the sentiment of Psalms 73 where the psalmist envies the wealth and the blessings that the wicked receive here on earth. Listen to Psalm 73 verses 3. 12. Psalm 73, 3 says, for I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. So he's being honest with God in this prayer. Like when I see the wicked prosper, my heart is a little bit upset about that because I'm trying to live in a way that pleases you. And it seems like I'm just keep jumping in foxholes, right? But they're prospering and building bigger houses. Then in verse 12, he says, behold, these are the wicked while always at ease, they increase in riches. Their life is good. But then as he's thinking through it, he comes to verse 17 and he says this, until I was thinking that they were prospering, until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I discerned their end. He said, after I went into the presence of God and saw what they get, I'm not envious of them anymore. I don't want what they got. I'm living for a future glory, a future home. So for the wicked, their best life is now. Whereas for the righteous person, the best is yet to come. And David is praying to that end. He's praying with the end in view. I think as we pray, it's really easy 
And I think we should pray for temporary needs. Like we should pray for good health, good nights of rest, good food, good travel, right? Like I, I think it's okay to pray those things because we're in a relationship with God, right? And I talked to Ruth about good food and, and what else did I mention? I just lost what I just said before, but, but I talked to Ruth about everything, right? And so I think we talk to God about those things, but the danger of only praying for the temporary is that we lose sight of the eternal. And so, yes, let's pray for people's healing, but let's also pray that God will give them perseverance in their suffering. Let's pray for God to work a miracle in your finances, but let's also pray for God to grow your trust in him. Because those things are eternal. The finances are going to come and go. Relationships are going to come and go. Food's going to come and go, right? But there's things that are eternal, a grateful heart. The, the, the fruits of the spirit, love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness. Those are the kinds of things that we should be praying. That's praying with the end in, in view. When we pray with the end in view, we ask God to help us find our satisfaction in him and dissatisfaction with the world. We ask him to help us find our joy in him and not in the temporary pleasures of this life. We ask God to help us to walk in the spirit and not walk in the flesh. What's interesting about Jesus' prayer that he models for us in Matthew chapter six is that if you study it out, the Lord's prayer what you often find in, in most of your translations of the Bible, you'll find a number there. A lot of times that little number, if you go down to the bottom of your page, it will have a note about something that maybe was once there or is missing there. And what you'll find is it will say later transcripts. So later transcripts of the Bible added in at the end of the Lord's prayer for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever, amen. So in our translation, the SV that we use a lot of the time is you, the end of the prayers, deliver us from the evil one. But later manuscripts added in this idea, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, amen. Why were they adding that in? I think they were adding that in as a reminder to us to pray with the end in view. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Forever is a really long time. So as we pray to God, we're thinking about the forever part of our life. We're thinking about that glorification, the next part of our life. And David is praying in that way. He's reminding himself through prayer that the wicked are gonna get, they're gonna be satisfied only in this life. But in verse 15, I'm going to be satisfied in the life to come because when I awake, I will be in the presence of God. He's praying from this relationship with God. The truth is, we find ourselves today not in a physical foxhole like it would seem David was in here, but we are surrounded by an enemy that is out to destroy our lives, to destroy our church. Paul lets us know about this enemy in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10 through 12. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might, putting on the whole armor of God that you may be able to, get, to stand against the schemes of the devil. 
For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Paul reminds us that we're not in a physical battle, we are in a spiritual battle. And the enemy is out to scheme, the enemy is out to deceive and destroy you. And how are we to fight this battle? Verse 17 and 18. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit. This is offensive. The sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And then listen to verse 18. Praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. How do we go to war in this foxhole that we find ourselves in? We pray Psalms 17. That's how we go to war. Psalm 17 is a model prayer for us to pray in our foxhole. We pray from relationship with God, for protection from the enemy, and we pray with the end in view. Father, thank you for Psalm 17. And Lord, I pray for the person in this room that finds themselves under attack from the enemy. I pray that Psalms 17 would breed confidence in you. That they, as they look at their life and they know that because of Jesus that they, they are innocent, that they can come before you and say, I, I didn't deserve really to be in this foxhole. That they can then pray, Lord, for your protection over them from the evil, your deliverance from the evil one. And I pray, Lord, that as they seek you, as they cry out to you, that they would do that with the end in view. They would do it with, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. That they would do it with the heart of David that once he is in your presence, he would be completely satisfied. Father, thank you for sending Jesus to make a way that we could pray Psalm 17 with a clear conscience. That because Jesus' righteousness has been put to us, we can come boldly into the throne of grace to find help in our time of need. What a great gift you've given us in prayer. Help us to be good stewards of that gift. Help us to use it in a way that honors you. Help us to uh, take advantage of the gift that we've been given and to speak to you and to talk with you from a relationship with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. You're always welcome at Antioch. If you desire more information, please go to AntiochBBC.org. That's AntiochBBC.org. God's best to you.